five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again for the second time with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Wednesday morning? Or is, has anything changed for you in the last hour? Uh, not really. I mean, I think even sometimes our conversations kind of kind of push me to think of things in a different way. And uh, I think that talk about the wide receivers sort of helped me, <laughs> sort of helped me grasp what's going on at wide receiver sort of looking things in a, in a different way i hope uh i hope everybody that uh listens to the show feels that way i mean i get a lot out of this show myself just talking about it with you uh hearing your opinions about these things and and uh uh it helps formulate it all helps formulate my thoughts and opinion about things and certainly my excitement for the season i'm glad to get into the offensive line uh in this show just simply because uh it was the weakest unit on the team a year ago and the challenge was how how how's the offensive line going to improve uh, even though you lost your best player? So uh, interesting group. 100%. Yeah. And, and I also get a ton out of these conversations, by the way. I always think they're very beneficial. I'm glad we finally carved out some time to be able to hop on here and, and talk about it. And the offensive line, like receiver, you know, these are the two biggest positions on the offense where you look and say, okay, there's some uncertainty. There's talent. Who goes where? What's it going to look like? I, Jimmy, I think we're starting to get some clarity on this, man. Um, you know, the first team offensive line during the first scrimmage was Tyler Steen, Kendall Randolph at left guard, which well, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more here in just a second. But you had Darian Dalcourt at center, Emil Ikior Jr. at right guard, and J.C. Latham at right tackle. The first question that people are going to bring up when it comes to that group is, wait a minute. Ken Randolph has been working a lot at tackle. He's played some guard. It's not like he's foreign to that position. Does that not feel, it's not quite as extreme, but to some people that might feel very moving Chris Owens from center to right tackle the week of the Miami game. Yeah, and uh, Chris Owens, by the way, was cut uh, this morning by the Steelers. Um, so, so, so there's that as we discuss this. Um, you know, first of all, I think three, in my mind, Three of the positions are set. Uh, I mean, I will be stunned if Tyler Steen's not at left tackle, J.C. Latham's not a right tackle, and Emil is not a right guard. I, 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 in my mind, that is chiseled in stone. Uh, center uh, was going to be a camp battle between Darren Dalport and Seth McLaughlin. Look, I, I always admit when I'm wrong, all spring and summer, I thought it'd be McLaughlin. It looks like Dalcourt to me. I mean, in terms of the video we get from the athletic department, in terms of uh, of, of, of sourced reports from the scrimmage, uh, it, it appears to me Dalcourt has won that job. And I'm not surprised. I'm not stunned. Uh, it, it makes some sense. He's the bigger, stronger, more experienced kid. Maybe maybe I was just wrong to predict McLaughlin. But I, I think it'll be Dalcourt. I just won't be surprised if it's McLaughlin. Left guard is the shocker that you pointed out. And and here's why we shouldn't be shocked. And and I see two explanations for this, and I'm interested to know if you see a third or if you agree it's one of the two. Here's the first explanation. Javion Cohen, as we know, uh, self-admitted uh, publicly his fight with uh, with his mental health, and he spent more than 30 days this summer in a, in a rehab facility uh, addressing his mental health. 
which is great. That needs to be number one priority. That's a lot more important than who Alabama's left guard is. But I think, and since he's a natural, naturally weighs 300 pounds, my guess is if you weigh 300 pounds, being away from the training table for 30 days and Miss Amy Bragg, being away from the weight room, being away from the track, being away from, from addressing your body every day for 30 days, uh, I, my, my theory, number one, is that has caught up with him and that strength conditioning-wise, he just can't go the whole time. And, in the, and he needs to split reps until his strength and conditioning is caught up with everyone else because of the 30 days he had to take off for, for medical reasons. Uh, that's theory number one. Theory number two, which is scarier and it's unfair, but and since we're not told anything, all we have is mindless speculations because that's all we have because we're not told everything. Uh, number two is, Maybe Cohen is slipping a little bit because maybe his heart and mind isn't in it. He's dealing with bigger things that are more important than football. And maybe that's caused him to not be the player that we thought he might be. And, and Kendall has sort of taken the spot from him uh, as a sixth-year player that knows our offense so well he can play tight end, tackle, guard, or probably even center. Uh and it is a Chris Owens type situation where the oldest kid with the best knowledge of the offense is winning the spot ahead of younger kids who have talent, but they don't know what to do. Uh, I, I think it's one of those two things, uh, Cohen being behind strength conditioning or maybe Cohen's hard hitting into this like it once was uh, because he's got bigger things going on. Uh, those are my two theories as to what's going on at left guard. But as usual, we don't know. We're just speculating. I think it's probably one of those two things as well. You know, it, and I don't think that it's a punishment by any any stretch. Nope. Um, you know, nope. anybody that thinks, oh, we spent time away from the team and so he's being punished. And, you know, it's like a, a, a Jalil Billingsley situation last year where he gets in trouble, does some things he's not supposed to, and then he's got to work his way back up the depth chart that, you know, Alabama's sticking sticking Cohen down there and making him work his way back up the depth chart. I don't think it's that situation at all. I think they fully supported, and I'm, I'm speculating, but I would assume that Alabama fully supported, you know, him going to get right mentally. But when you're focused so hard on the mental side, are you keeping up with the physical side? And that's just something that we don't – he might have been. He might have been working out three times a day, uh, you know, eating right, doing all the things that he needed to do, or maybe he, he didn't. And, and and that's understandable. I mean, you can only, I mean, when you're putting so much focus on trying to get right mentally, the physical stuff kind of has to take a backseat and that's okay. It just might, it might be some, they're putting in there as he works his way back. We'll have to see. I think if this continues to be the trend, if Kendall Randolph continues to be the left guard in scrimmages and, you know, in, in practice videos and all that stuff that we see, okay, then you can start to say, you know, what, is it something else or is it taking him longer Whatever the case ends up being, um, you know, we'll kind of it's it's a it's a play it by ear, just kind of see what happens with that. I think more importantly, right now, if you're a fan, until you have more clarity on that situation, you focus on the center battle. You know, you focus on, you know, the left tackle battle. How is that progressing? And from what we've heard, sources have told Bam Insider that Tyler Steen is certainly taking hold of that left tackle job and doing some very good things. Alabama uh, apparently has been very impressed with both left and right tackle. 
can't tell you how important that is for the offense moving forward. But the other thing I want to talk about, because we've seen a lot of Tyler Booker working at right guard. Back in the spring, you saw a lot of time at right tackle. Now, you know, my question is, is does that stick? You know, because we've seen Damian George after working a lot at right guard. He's been back working at, at right tackle. So what does that end up being? Clearly, clearly a, you know, this is, is speculation, but I just wonder, from what we know in recent times, which we don't have a lot to go off of, but J.C. Latham, from everything we know, he doesn't have any sort of injury history. He hadn't struggled with any sort of injuries. Emil Ikior Jr., he has struggled with some injuries. He missed the spring. He was banged up last year. So he's missed time. And from what we've heard, so what sources have also told Bam Insider, is that Tyler Booker has had a very good fall camp. He had a very good summer. The coaching staff is impressed with him, and they view him in that top you know, six to eight players. To me, Tyler Booker playing, because like it, you, we've talked about it before, don't get me wrong, Eric Wolford loves to cross-train guys. So you could have just been seen in this particular scrimmage or in the last couple of practices, Tyler Booker working at right guard to get him more comfortable playing multiple spots. That would kind of go against what Nick Saban has talked about with freshmen playing multiple positions. J.C. Latham, as much as Alabama struggled at right tackle last season, you didn't see a whole lot, whole lot of J.C. Latham. Once he made that move to guard, he was in there. And now he, you know, he waited until after he was a freshman to make the move back to right tackle. So it makes me wonder, okay, do they view you know, Emil Ikior and his injury history? Is it a clearer path to playing time for a guy like Tyler Booker? They want to get him as many reps as possible in there at right guard in case something happens. And, and this is also purely speculation, we don't even know the 2022 starting lineup for Alabama's offensive line. But with what we've heard about Jason Latham being a guy who could kind of take that Evan Neal path where he goes from playing guard as a freshman to right tackle as a sophomore to left tackle as a junior, if that ends up playing out, you would have Latham at left tackle, maybe a Cohen at left guard, depending on what happens with him. But McLaughlin, with Darian Dalcourt being a, uh, a senior, McLaughlin probably being your center. We've also heard great things about Elijah Pritchett, man. Uh, before he got hurt, the coaching staff was very impressed with him. think he's going to be a very special player in the future. They might be clearing the way, going ahead and getting Booker in the guard because Elijah Pritchett might be a, a candidate to replace uh, J.C. Latham, who's kicking over to the left side if that ends up happening, at right tackle. And that could be your offensive line in 2023. Don't want to spend a whole lot of time focusing on that, but just everything I, I, I threw a lot of information at you there. Just what are your kind of reactions to all of it? Oh, it all it, it all makes sense. Uh, I, I think maybe a little more succinctly. Sometimes there's a sixth lineman. You know, hey, this is these are our five best. Our sixth best is Tyler Booker. Well, if he's the sixth best, he needs to know how to play tackle and guard. I mean, you got a backup center. You know, your sixth guy doesn't need to be the center in this particular case because I think they'd be comfortable with McLaughlin if uh, if if Dalcourt goes down. But but first off the bench, it, it's it's helpful if your sixth guy can play guard or tackle. You know, so maybe that sixth guy is, is Tyler Booker. Maybe he's next up uh, at any of the positions, and that's why we're seeing him at guard because we know from the spring he spent the entirety of the spring at tackle. If he spent quite a bit of fall camp at guard, he might be good to go this fall at any of the spots, uh, though that is against the grain of what Saban normally does with true freshmen. On the other hand, if he's the sixth best lineman, he's going to need to know how to play all the spots if that's the direction they want to go. Uh, I don't love Alabama's depth there. 
I, I, I think the depth is still really questionable to me. That's why Kendall Randolph is, uh, is in there for Cohen. Uh, I don't think guys like Ferguson, Bowles, Roberts, uh, I, 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 either Brockermeyer, they're not ready. They, they might be ready one day, but they're not ready now. Uh, and that's another thing that tells me. Damian George, probably a guy they could go to off the bench. But I got to tell you, I, I mean, I, I, I hate picking on a kid, especially one that could punt me from, uh, from, from Alabama to Wyoming. But uh, <laughs> Damian, uh, I, I've got a little PTSD from that Auburn game and Damian George. That's just me. And that's being cruel. And he was young. And, and frankly, it's the coach's fault for not having somebody ready to play. Uh, but that, I, that, that right tackle spot against Auburn, in my mind, was 50 to 60% of the problem on offense. Yeah. Uh, something else, you know, and this is what we do. You know, we're speculating. We put this out there. Someone might take it literally and say, oh, this is what they're doing. This is none of this stuff. You know, it's all just throwing out scenarios, what they could possibly be doing, trying to crack the code, but we'll never know the code. Uh, but something else you got to look at, you know, who does have experience at left guard? Emilio Ikior. So yep. if for whatever reason, Ken Randolph wasn't panning out at left guard and JVN Cohen wasn't able to get back or whatever the case is with him, maybe he's not able to go. You know, you could always kick Emilio Ikior over to left guard where he has some experience. And then you've got Tyler Booker ready to insert at right guard where you've been practicing him. So I think that the, you know, you would think that the, the veteran player would be the one that you would move around and it would be the freshman that you say, okay, let's get him ready in case he's got to go into the lineup. But we very, we slot him into a very specific role like JC Latham last year. It wasn't left, left tackle, left guard. You know, guys got banged up, right? I mean, we saw Tommy Brown start last year uh, at one point. So, like, when, when guys got banged up, J.C. Latham was never an option at any of those spots except for right guard. When Emilio Kior Jr. went down, who was it? It was J.C. Latham. So maybe you could see a situation where, you know, that they're ready to move a veteran over somewhere else to get Tyler Booker in there into the starting lineup if they need him to. But that's another potential scenario. Did you ever play? Uh, I know. I know you played linebacker. Did you ever play offensive line when you played? Yeah, back my freshman year. Yeah, I played a little tackle. I was um, look, yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh, heck, I, it's a good thing I, I'll, I'll postpone the board later. I'm gonna have name dropping here. I'm, I'm eating lunch with Roger Schultz. I, I'll ask him this too. <laughs> but when you played offensive line, uh, did you play left tackle or right tackle or both? Left tackle. Okay. Uh, so when you lined up in a three-point stance at left tackle, uh, I'm guessing your your left hand was on the ground. Yes. No, okay. uh, man, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, normally it would be. Now, I was a freshman in high school, so at that right. point in time, it kind of feels like they were like whatever, whatever. I, in fact, I want to say I was in a two-point stance, but I okay. I, I don't remember. I want to. So you would just line up in a pass pro set. Yeah. You didn't do a lot of hand on the ground pile driving run game stuff yeah and then of course if it feels like a run play or something different technique i mean i don't think young players like that were picking up on tendencies too much so at that point you line up in a different stance and you fire off the football but i think it was right hand if you want to just line up in a three-point stance come off of it and block um i don't really remember though it was so long ago i'm just making the point that i hope fans understand that switching from the right side to left side left side to right side isn't just a breeze there there is a it's a significant change going from the right side to the left side. But Emil Echior's experience playing left guard, I'm sure would be a big help. But I think your leverage 
and, and, and you, you, most people have a stronger arm, you know, most people are right-handed, their right hand is stronger than their left, left arm, you know, your right side stronger than your left side. If you're right-handed generally, uh, I'm just saying I, I, it, it can be a change. It's not a small thing to move from a right side to the left side. And we certainly know that's the case at tackle. Whereas on the left side, you're, you're always going to be facing an elite pass rusher. Well, I mean, and, and really, yeah, it, it's it's all different. I mean, that's something I can definitely tell you is, you know, going from playing tackle to guard, when you go from playing in a phone booth and you're pulling a lot and, you know, all that to playing in space in a, a very fast, quick twitch defensive end can line up, you know, a lot wider. And now you've got to get really deep in your pass sets, but you can't get too deep because then they can have an inside spin move. And now, you know, you're in big trouble. You've overset. Uh, but then, you know, as far as your dominant hand and which side you're on, your anchor foot's different, you know, how you're going to be able to handle bull rushes. Um, that, yeah, there's so many different things that is literally, it's, 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 I wouldn't, it's not quite as extreme, but it would be like, Hey, you spent your entire life, you know, riding with your left hand. Why don't you go ahead and start riding with your left hand all of a sudden? It's not that extreme. That's the, the max, you know, um, mm-hmm. the most extreme example, but in some way, you know, how foreign that would feel. You know, even, right. you know, you could take your arms right now and cross them, you know, as you normally would, and then take your other arm and now put it on top. It feels very foreign to you. That's the way it is. If you've got a guy who spent his entire career as a blonde side protector, left side, he's done everything a certain way, same anchor foot, everything, same hand on the ground. You switch that over and everything's the polar opposite. It feels very different and it takes time to adjust. Exactly. So that's why all this moving around, it's good for the players to get that experience, but I'll bet you if any offensive lineman, if you ask them honestly and got an honest answer, because sometimes you don't always get one when they're asked by the media or the public, but I bet every offensive lineman has a position that they feel most comfortable. You know, well, I, you know, I, hey, I, I could play all five, but right guard, that's, that's my comfort zone, or left tackle is my comfort zone. I mean, I, I think every offensive lineman's going to have a, favorite spot their most comfortable spot yeah yeah i agree with you on that um and we i would i could continue to talk about the offensive line for another 30 minutes but we probably need to move on uh, uh but the the running backs are, in, are another position that's interesting you know from what we've heard about jameer gibbs this is a guy that's come in he's taken over he's doing great things and you know when you when you look at what Alabama has at that position it's a very deep group we think there are a lot of different players who could be involved you don't know what the the snap share the the carry distribution the touch share all that you don't know what it looks like right now but we do know Jameer Gibbs is going to be a huge part of the offense and something that we I don't think we've been talking about enough and it's something I started thinking about is this guy can get he can line up as a receiver you know you can put him in the slot and and do different things with him. And I'm not just talking about very generic routes. This guy can run some routes, some underneath stuff, stuff that goes beyond the 10-yard mark, the 15-yard mark, pretty effectively. And so I think we've got that kind of playmaker. You continue to keep him on the field and involved in the offense, but you're also able to get some of those other running backs, some of your depth, onto the field and, and line them up in more of a traditional role. So I don't know if we've talked about that a ton up to this point, but it's something that I was just thinking about. Jimmy, what are your thoughts on uh, this running back group and the way it's progressing in fall camp? Well, first of all, it's outstanding because there's two ways you can look at it. You, you can look at, okay, who's your starter, who's the bell cow, and then what's your depth like? And and, and Alabama checks both boxes to me. Uh, I've noticed that when Nick Saban has asked about the running backs or running back group as a whole, he almost laughs. He, I mean, it, it, he almost has like a jovial 
answered. That to me tells me Nick is sort of thrilled, I think, with the group he's got at running back. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I you know, Gibbs uh, is going to be, to me, the impact that Jamison Williams and Henry Toho Toho had out of the portal. Uh, I, I think we're going to get that from Gibbs. I don't know about the other guys, but from I, I, I Gibbs will be a star player, and I think he'll be a star player quickly. Uh, he plays the, the one position where maybe things aren't as complicated at running back as they might be in other positions in terms of learning. So much of what you're doing at running back is just natural ability, uh, and, and, and Jameer Gibbs has already proven that at the Power 5 level. I think he's going to be spectacular. I think the bread and butter play of the whole offense all year long will be some type of throw to Gibbs. Uh, however they do it, they'll probably do it numerous different ways. But I just think the most consistent, most effective play for Alabama all season long will be Bryce Young throwing a ball to Jameer Gibbs. Uh, I think it's going to just make positive yards time and time and time and time again to the point that the only thing we're asking as fans is why don't you even do it more? I know you do it a lot, do it more because it's not being stopped. Uh, so I, I love Gibbs. I love your idea of, of even him lining up in the slot at times, which puts the number two back on the field. And who is that number two back? I, I, I think there's three candidates for the number two back, which makes it, it just shows off the depth. Uh, Trey Sanders finished last year at number two due to injury, but I thought, Trey was basically playing like a quality number two back. And now we can assume he's even healthier, quicker, stronger, faster than he was as he continues to recover from that traumatic car accident. But Trey may be number two, or maybe it's Jace McClellan, who was number two at the time that he got hurt. The thing that I love about Jace being number two, Clint, is that Jace's skill set is really similar to Gibbs. And I like that. Maybe ideally you have a, thunder and lightning one two duo but I, I like having two guys that are so similar you have to change a thing bill o'brien doesn't have to flip to another play sheet when when mcclellan comes in and gibbs is out you can do the same things with jace that you've done with gibbs J, J, uh, gibbs is a little more experienced maybe slightly more explosive and shiftier but jace is the same type of kid and then there's Roydell williams who i thought in his brief time as the number two back was uh, pretty fantastic. A little more physical than Jason Gibbs. Not quite as big. Maybe Trey Sanders might be a bit bigger, a bit. Uh, but Roy Dell runs with a very physical style. So he brings a slightly different element. Maybe he's a little better between the tackles than Jason Gibbs. So maybe we see Roy Dell more than we think. But uh, between the four of them, uh, we just got to keep them healthy because I think as a group, that's outstanding. And in the event we do have to go to a freshman, I am big, big on Jamarian Miller. I think if we had to play Miller now, he would be great. Uh, I, I think long-term, and I've said this on the board, and I'll say it again, I know this is just based on nothing but my brief look at him in the spring. Uh, I, I think 10 years from now, when we look back at the running back room in 2022, 10 years from now, we're going to say Miller was the best player. That's a tall statement. You know, when you start talking about all these other guys, and, and you could be right, you know, who, who knows? But certainly the, the number two back to me is one of the big things that it interests me. We know Jameer Gibbs is going to probably top the depth chart. We know that he's going to be the one that's getting the most touches. But 
who is that number two guy? And right now, you know, before it was like you just kind of assumed order of depth based off of last year before everybody got hurt. And it was Jace McClellan, it was Roy Dell Williams, and then it was Trey Sanders, you know, in that order behind Brian Robinson. It could be that way or maybe through these injuries and stuff. Um you know, Jace might end up, end up falling down the depth chart a little bit, or maybe they like what Roydell Williams brings as far as to complement what Jameer Gibbs is going to bring them. I completely agree with you. He's not remotely the same player as a receiver, uh, even though I do think that Roydell Williams has some, you know, pretty good hands and some, you know, decent receiving chops. The suddenness of Josh Jacobs in the open field, I don't think that, that Roydell Williams possesses that level. But what I will say is that Josh Jacobs, this smaller ball of muscle that just packed a punch, and he was he Derrick Henry? No. But did he make defenses pay for trying to tackle him sometimes? And did he? It almost seemed like Josh Jacobs would break into the open field and he would know that he, maybe he could get by a guy, but he was like, no, nah, I want this cat. I'm, I want to send a statement uh, with this. And he would just, uh, it would demolish him, right? I, I kind of see a little bit of that from Wardell Williams. Very limited, of course, but. When you look at the way that he's changed physically and continue to add muscle, um, looks f- phenomenal in that number five, by the way. We'll just kind of we'll have to see if he can get in the mix and not only be in the mix, but maybe he's the number two guy. And maybe he is a guy who kind of Alabama's gotten away from the take your will away, just hammer the football at you. But having that player who is really just going to make defenders think twice, be like, do I really want to really hit this guy? That's a good thing to have. And so you might see that. And I think you get a little bit of that from Trey Sanders as well. And Jace McClellan, I haven't really seen that a ton from him, but not saying he's not capable. I think he did, you know, quite a bit in high school too. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see. But the number two running back is the big storyline to me is how it ends up shaking out behind Jameer Gibbs because we know Gibbs is the constant. He's going to be up there Uh, very quickly before we hop out of here, which we're going to have to do soon, but just touch a little bit on the tight ends and just let everybody know we know Cameron Latou's hurt. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Uh, what are your thoughts there? I, I believe Latu will be back for the opener. I believe he will. Uh, and, and I'm not basing that off hey, a certain source. Talk about, but I mean, just everything I've been able to gather. I believe Latu will be back for the opener. If I'm wrong, I'm, I'm very confident he'll be back for game two. And it's a good thing. Uh, the depth, the depth is what I would call promising, but the opposite of proven. And, and, and there's not another Latu. Uh, if, if Latu can't go, you have to piece it together with what this guy does well and what that guy does well. And Oost, he's really more of an H than a Y, and he's really more of a blocker than a pass catcher. But, you know, Miles Kitzelman looks like a, a flat Y to me. Maybe Kitzelman has to play snaps, and you can play Oost at H, or maybe you, f- you, you just kind of force Oost into the Y hole, even though it's not what he does best. And Amari Black, maybe instead of, you know, letting him progress at his own pace, he's sort of forced into the fire. Uh, he's an H. No doubt he's an H now. It'll be a year or two before Black has added enough strength and mass to be a significant player at the Y spot. He's going to have to be an H. I think Danny Lewis and Elijah Brown could both be Ys, but it would be hard for me to imagine they're physically ready for that. It would have to be Kitzelman. But I think my point is with, with Latu out, you have to piece it together with some Oosts, some Kitzelman, some Nablack. But it goes to show how good Cam Latu is because if you have Latu, you don't have to do any of that. Latu can do all of it. He can play the Y. 
He can play the H. He can get the edge blocked. He can make a play in the pass game. He knows what to do. He knows all the positions. Latu is one of the better tight ends in the SEC and maybe even nationally. And, and we're really missing a lot with him out of there. I, I, I think if Latu can't go, Clint, uh, this position is a big question mark. And, and Joe Cox, the young tight end coach, he's just going to have to mix and match based situationally to try to have a, a quality player at the, at the Y and H spots. What do you need a tight end to do or be that Cameron Latu does not offer your offense? You know, do you need a blocker, a guy who can, whether that be a blocker on the perimeter or in the slot or in line, Latu, is he the, the, is he an elite blocker? No, but he's a good blocker. He can provide that for you. You know, do you need the receiving chops? He can do that for you. He can create after the catch. He's a big body guy, 6'5", 250 pounds. He's, he's a reliable target. You want your, your quarterback to be comfortable with his targets. He's certainly comfortable. Bryce Young is certainly comfortable with Cameron Latou. And then the mismatch problems, you know, you, you line up he, him as a big slot, and it's like, how, I mean, goodness, how are we going to match this, you know, 6'5", now, to, I guess, 244-pound you know, essentially receiver out here, that's difficult to do. It's difficult to match the athleticism that he brings to the table uh, and the physicalness that he brings to to the position and the size. So you're 100% correct. You know, people, I, what they'll do is they'll look at Kendall Randolph and you can clearly see the limitations that having Kendall Randolph does to your offense. That is very, very clear to you. Because you see a guy who's going to provide a lot in the, as a blocker. You know, you're not really going to get much better as far as your blocking than an offensive lineman blocking at the tight end spot. But they clearly see the limitations in the passing game. Amari to Black, right now, he's the polar opposite, right? I mean, he, he's going to offer probably a lot. Now, granted, he's still working out that side of it, too. We talk about Tyler Harrell and stuff, learning the playbook, knowing, you know, what routes to run, blocking techniques, all these different things. These are things that the freshmen are going through as well. But let's say that he did provide that receiving element. He offers little to nothing right now as a blocker. People don't want to acknowledge that side of it as much because they they see the flash. They see the, the, the catching ability and that they want him on the field. And I certainly think he can work his way onto the field. If he can prove to be a reliable guy, you know, it, even if it's just as a pass catcher, focus exclusively on that. I think he could be a nice complimentary piece. But replacing Cameron Latou is more difficult than people realize. And it's like I said in the last podcast, I do think that right now with the limited options they have available to them, the size that Trayshawn Holden brings to the offense, I think is more valued than people realize because it does bring some of that. Is he 6'5"? No. Is he 244 pounds? No. But look at all these other receivers. You know, six foot 200. You know, JoJo Earl being undersized. You know, Christian Leary, 5'10", 175. Ja'Cory Brooks brings some size and length, but he's not really a big body guy, you know, not yet. He's, you know, 196 pounds, I think, you know, he's still sub 200. So I do think that having more of a big body receiver out there can maybe make up for some of that, but it's, it is, it's piecing together. And that's what, I don't think Cameron Latou gets enough praise when it comes to a lot of fans, but that's going to do it for today's episode. Well, first of all, Jimmy, do you have anything to react to as far as that's concerned? No, no, no. Great breakdown. And uh, Latu is underrated, uh, even by the, our own fans. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I've, 
I, I'm kind of surprised. And, and what, it's kind of like the Slade Bolden thing, not to that extent, but, you know, he, he has a couple of drops and they're kind of in critical moments. And then that's all you can think about when you think about that player. That's the, that's what comes to mind. And you think, oh, he's not that great. Or, oh, he's okay. But he has those moments. It's like really just for, you know, big guys, you know, big-time players, sometimes they don't make the big-time play. You know, Julio Jones didn't make every big-time catch that ever came his way. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it, it what, Cameron, what Cameron Latou does offer your offense, I think is very difficult to replace, and I think it's very difficult to defend when he's on the field. So that's something to keep in mind. Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. I know we didn't get to the defense. We're going to try to do that soon. Can't make any promises. I'm not going to say, oh, that we know we're, we're we're still figuring things out. We do know that next Thursday, the plan is to have some kind of live show in place, probably for Thursday night, and that'll become a podcast on Friday mornings. Outside of that, it's just kind of, we'll see how the schedule ends up working out, and we'll try to make it work for you guys, because we certainly want to do as many of these as possible. We, we've gotten a ton of feedback. It's been a couple of weeks. People have been asking. They want to know. And we want to give you guys what you want, not what we want. We want to give you what you're looking for. So we appreciate everybody that listens in. Certainly continue to let us know because the more you share, hey, you know, we love the podcast. We love listening. That That's stuff that really helps us is trying to figure out, okay, is this worth doing? You know, or compared to, you know, is this the best usage of our of our time, I guess is the way to put it. And we're still trying to work through some of that stuff. So we appreciate you guys. Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you too, man. Oh, appreciate, oh, man, love doing the show. Yeah, 100%. This was fun, and we will be back as soon as possible doing it again. So once again, this is the Bam on 3 show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.